When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Fighting pride of London, England, Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua becomes a two-time world heavyweight champion, beating Andy Ruiz Jr. in a well-calculated and executed game plan. Welcome again, fight fans, to another episode of the podcast, and this is the big fight reaction. Johnston Brown is on the line with me to break this one down and talk about our thoughts from Saudi Arabia's card. But before we do that and get into the episode, of course, go and find us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or Spotify or Stitcher or Spreaker, any available podcasting app we are out there to listen to on. Get rating, reviewing and subscribing. It's really, really appreciated. So, Johnston, what a weekend. Great night over in Saudi Arabia and Anthony Joshua becomes only the fourth man in heavyweight boxing history to regain his world heavyweight titles in an immediate rematch alongside the likes of Muhammad Ali, Floyd Patterson and Lennox Lewis. Well that's unbelievable company to, for, for Anthony Joshua to be sitting with. Um, he, he produced the goods in a great weekend of boxing. In terms of British boxing he, he's done a he's made a huge boost to the British boxing scene. He already has, and obviously with that victory, it's, it's massive for British boxing as well as it is for Anthony Joshua. Um, and it was just a great performance from him. I, honestly, I can't really knock it, and, and I'm struggling to find out why people would. Um, you know, everyone has their own perception and sort of ideas on how Joshua should have uh, sort of taken that fight and how he should have fought Ruiz. But I thought it was spot on for me, and I really enjoyed the fight. So I really enjoyed the fight as well. I mean, people were expecting a complete slugfest. Uh, they were expecting something completely different. And obviously it's had its uh, a lot of negative comments, a lot of positive comments. So we'll obviously break down the sort of positive and negative side of things of, of this victory for him. But I can't really echo your sentiments enough about the fact that, you know, British boxing needed this victory, regardless of, of how we both felt about the fight going down over the weekend at the end of the day British boxing needed the victory for it because since Cal Froch left the sport his fight with George Groves at Wembley in front of 80,000 people was what was the start of the the big boom for British boxing and then obviously AJ had turned professional at this point and he was starting to make his way through the ranks and and all his big fights that he's had at the Principality and at Wembley and you know going over to America and you know, losing in emphatic fashion and, and it's created such a buzz around British boxing and we needed this victory. We needed it and we got it and we got it in a, in a great fashion and 
I'm, I'm really looking forward to sort of breaking down a few different aspects of this particular fight and, and the social media reactions and everybody's reactions to it because it's obviously been the talk of the town all weekend since that <laughs> happened. So, obviously, he gets the victory. He gets the decision on the cards. Uh, there was no doubt about it, obviously, when the final bell well, who was the winner of this particular fight. People were negative about the fact that he, he basically hit and run, and that's what people were saying. They're not my words. This is just what people have been saying on, on social media. But my thoughts uh, initially on this was that they went in there with a game plan, and that game plan was well executed, and credit must go to Anthony Joshua, but more so to Rob McCracken, because I think he was under the firing line more than what Joshua was when Joshua lost that first fight. You know, they were saying he should be sacked, he should get rid of him, he's useless, he's this, he's that. The amount of criticism he received from that first fight was was unjustified for me personally, given what he'd done previously with Joshua and with Frotch in the past as well, and Team GB in general up in Sheffield. So that was heavy criticism. And what was also very notable about... Saturday night is when Joshua and the rest of his team were all celebrating in the ring. I don't know if you noticed this. Robert Kraken, he stood in the corner. He's not there for the limelight. He wasn't there jumping around like the rest of them were. He was just stood in the corner watching them all. And he, he, for me, that, that sort of echoed a lot of things about Robert Kraken as a man. He's he's not there for the limelight. He's not there to be in the spotlight. He's there to do a job. And my word, did his game plan get executed to, to, to a great standard on Saturday night. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't notice that, actually. That's one thing I didn't notice. Well spotted there, Sean. Um, but like you say, that is Rob all over. Um, you know, he, he was under high scrutinism. Um, he was heavily scrutinised for for the performance he put in in Madison Square Garden as well as what Joshua did. Um, so, you know, it was back to the drawing ball for them and that's exactly what they did. And I, and I think that it, it's unfair to say that he ran. I don't think he ran. He moved from side to side. It was... He actually showed he had he had an engine. He had great stamina on the night, and and up to the twelfth round, he he could have carried on for another couple. I feel um, that's the first one I could ever say that about Anthony Joshua. And the plan they put together. I mean, I mean, I'm going to use the football analogy here, but when you've got a you know a Premier League team that's just sort of gung ho and they're an attacking side, and then all of a sudden they get stopped by someone, you know, eventually the next game is to get back to winning ways, and and sometimes. You need to tweak things, you need to adjust, and you need to probably be a little bit more defensive. And that's what Joshua did. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because you know, the first thing he would have been waiting for was when Ruiz hit him. Um, and, and I think whether other boxers, Cole Foch mentioned it, uh, even David Hay mentioned it, in terms of once you get hit with that punch, and it's a matter of whether you have like those flashbacks or whether you can take that punch. And he did. He took a couple of digs. Not too many, but he did, and he was able to to just brush it off and carry on fighting to the plan that he put together. I mean, he was the jabs. I thought I thought his jab was brilliant. I think he's popping Ruiz's head back with them jabs. They weren't just sort of feeling jabs; they were they were vicious jabs, and then following with the right hand. And I think what you will see probably now is is the confidence he's gained from that fight will be that maybe in the next fight it will it will double up the jab and then he'll throw a right hand, maybe even then try and go for the to, to close the show, whereas. Sometimes he would be a little bit, um, you know, a bit quick and a bit naive where he would he would rely on the power a little bit too much and, and really go for broke. And sometimes that would be downfall. And I think that's what happened in the first fight. Whereas this fight, he stuck to the plan. He, there was opportunities for him to put the foot down, but he decided not to. And then that was that was good. That showed you that he had he had great mentality. And that was one thing me and you highlighted in, in the show previously is, is the mentality of Joshua. And for me. He showed he had a strong mentality. He showed he had the hunger and the desire to to want to retain, uh, regain his title. Sorry, and um, and he did that. And and I can't knock it. I really can't. And I think sometimes you know, from a loss, as I say, you just sometimes you just need to, you know, that first dig, that first punch, or in football terms, that first pass. Gradually, you would get your confidence, and you could see the confidence oozing from Joshua the more the fight went on. And it was just great to see. I mean, I wanted I wanted to see the knockout. I thought maybe eight or ten. It didn't happen, but I wasn't disappointed by that. I thought I was I was very impressed with his performance, and he didn't. Now, honestly, I can't see how anyone could say that he he ran. He moved from side to side, and and for me, that is nothing wrong with that. So I mean, I'm I'm just full of praise for Joshua and for Rob, Rob McCracken and the whole team. I thought they they put a game, they master planned it, and it was in and they, and they they literally delivered. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I and I think people are a little bit too quick to jump on his back, basically. 
Well, let's address the elephant in the room and in our conversation. We made predictions for the fight. My prediction was for Ruiz to repeat his performance. Yours was for Joshua to avenge his defeat. And, and obviously, in this instance, you were correct. Now, I'll, I will put a little bit of a side note to this as well. We recorded the preview for Anthony Joshua's attempt to regain the titles against Andy Ruiz prior to the weigh-in. Now, <laughs> when we got to that weigh-in, I'll be honest, when he came in over a stone heavier than the last fight and he kept his top on, he had his sombrero on, I was starting to question whether this was mind games or whether he hasn't trained and that was where I was starting to feel like maybe maybe he won't repeat this performance. But obviously at this point, I'd already made my prediction. The episode was already out, so I had to stick to my guns <laughs> with it. Of course I did. Uh, and, I, and I stuck to my guns, but you know, seeing the performance of Ruiz, taking nothing away from Anthony Joshua, Ruiz did try to keep up with him for 12 rounds, but I just feel for Ruiz... You know, he admitted himself post-fight. He wasn't training properly. He was being lazy. He was cutting corners. He apologised to Manny Robles. And, uh, you know, for me, it's a, a poor excuse, to be honest, because at the end of the day, you'd become heavyweight champion of the world. You'd picked up four belts beating Anthony Joshua. And yet, all of a sudden, he makes that decision to just not fully train correctly. And it reminded me very much of when Mike Tyson got beat off Buster Douglas and Buster Douglas in his first defence of the titles lost to Evander Holyfield. He ballooned up in weight the same way Ruiz did and he was kind of like a, a one-time thing. Will Andy Ruiz be a one-time thing? I don't know. I mean, I do genuinely believe a Ruiz at around 240, £250 is, is dangerous and a handful for absolutely anybody in the division. Anybody, I do genuinely yep. believe that. I don't think it's the end of Andrew Ruiz. I mean, obviously, he, he's saying he wants a third fight, and I can imagine there's reasons why he wants it. He, he knew he had a shit performance, he knew he didn't train, but also the aspect of obviously, you know, having that victory over him and, and, and obviously having that loss against him now. There's a rubber match on the table, but I honestly don't think it'll happen. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, we'll come into sort of future opponents uh, in a short while. But for Andy Ruiz Jr., it was uh, very disappointing because they expected more from him. Not that I honestly wanted him to win because now speaking biasly about it, deep down I wanted Joshua to win because I wanted the the wave of British boxing to continue the way it has done and he's played a massive part in that Joshua so that's why I said at the top of the show it was imperative and it was great for British boxing that he win the fight because at the end of the day he's paved the way for so many more people to come through the system and the amateur ranks into the professional ranks that now seeing him take that loss and be able to regain his titles and, and adjust the way he has done it's going to give people the confidence to believe that they can go on to pave their way into the sport. And he's a good advert for the sport, let's be honest. You know, the way Andy Ruiz looked in there didn't really come across as a good advert. And then he just he just came in like a stereotype, really. He, he looked overweight. He looked out of shape in the first fight. He was overweight in the second fight from the first fight. And, and he just looked all them extra 15 pounds over the weight on the night because he was slow. He couldn't fully keep up with Joshua and when he did land in in the exchanges he did look like he could cause some problems but Joshua's adaptions for this particular fight were better as in he didn't stay there in the pocket long enough for Ruiz to cause any significant damage and for me that was where Joshua's game plan was was so much more better than what it was in the first fight and I just wanted to address uh, what he said in the news over the past 24 hours about there was some sort of medical issue that they've not disclosed to, to the media, but he, he did mention there was some sort of medical issue that was causing him to feel drained, causing him to, to feel weak, and, you know, he still went ahead with that fight. What what do you make of, of that now he's come out and said that? Okay, I, I've not heard that. It's the first time I'm hearing that. Um, I mean, it was pretty evident that something wasn't clear, something wasn't right. I mean, obviously, the concussion discussion was of everyone's agenda, wasn't it, in terms of he was concussed going into the fight. Um, I didn't know that, so um, I'm surprised he's actually released and said something like that. I suppose he waited for for the to, to get the win first, and then and then he was going to make that point. I mean, in in the ring, he did say that you know it'd be in your book type of thing once I retire. But I, sometimes I don't, I don't quite like the fact that you know you start to make excuses. Okay, he's won the fight, but it's almost like it's an excuse now. You know, best thing to do 
you know, you've done what you've done. You, you've, you know, you've got your titles back. You've beaten Ruiz in convincing fashion. And you now have got the second chapter of your career. There's no need to bring up that, that, that news. I think it's something that now, just to keep the fans guessing, I think that's the best way to do it, really, um, and then move on. So, obviously, he's come out and said it. I mean, I'm not going to knock it completely. As I say, there was clearly something wrong. Something wasn't right with Joshua on the night. And But he looked like the old Joshua and a little bit better um, on Saturday. And I, as I said, I was really impressed. And Rui, yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, you've got the, one of the biggest fights of your career. You are king of the heavyweight division at that time, top of the food chain. And you decide to just sort of not, you know, put on extra weight. I, I thought it was going to be a bit of a my, bit mind games more than anything. You know, wearing the, the, the top and the jeans, and it, it, it looked like to me, with, with the sombrero and everything, that he was just again he was playing the mind games on Joshua for Joshua to be, you know, to obviously playing on his mentality and seeing if he's got a strong enough mentality when he goes into the second fight. And clearly not, he's covering up his fat. <laughs> so um, <laughs> unfortunately, it, you know, if he had have probably gone into his pants, I think everybody would have been running to the bookies and putting the money on Joshua. Because that's exactly what they did with uh, Vander Holyfield when everybody see uh, Buster Douglas and how much he weighed in on the night of their of their fight. So um, yeah, it's a shame for Ruiz. I don't think it's the end. I think he's, he's as you say, if he strips that weight, you know, um, he is a he's trouble for anyone. I think the trouble is with Ruiz now is who's going to want to go near him. Wilder won't go near him. I mean, people have have mentioned obviously Wilder will flatten him out in thirty seconds. I tell you what, Ruiz is all wrong for Wilder as well because. He can box a little bit, and when he does get in the pocket, you know we've not seen that against Wilder. Who's Wilder fault where someone's in his face? You know most people keep their distance because they're worried about the right hand. So if Ruiz does lose that weight and he wants to fight someone like Wilder, I don't think you go anywhere near him. I think Tyson is another one. Tyson Fury would want to really. So the trouble is, is for him, he's going to need to get a couple of wins under his belt against other opponents, other contenders, for him to get the shot, and then make himself a mandatory. I think that's the only way he's going to get himself another shot at a world title. I don't think he will win another title. He may get another opportunity. We have to see. No, I agree. I don't genuinely think he will win another title. I mean, talking about what the landscape is now for Anthony Joshua and, and how that fits in with what we're talking about with Ruiz. The WBO have already ordered Joshua to defend his title uh, against the mandatory, which is Alexander Usyk, and he's got 180 days to agree negotiations on that. Now, I think they're already talking about not having that fight happen, and it sounds like potentially the WBO are going to strip him of the title, or he's going to vacate the title before they strip him of it, and he's going to face his other mandatory with the IBF, which is Kubrat Pulev, which was a fight which was supposed to happen uh, over 18 months ago, and that seems the more likely fight to happen, to be honest with you, for Joshua. For Ruiz, as you said, totally right, I agree, he's going to have to work his way back up, he's going to have to put himself in the position as a mandatory to fight for a title with one of the sanctioning body so I think for now we're not going to see Ruiz for a little while in terms of on the big stage like we've seen him in this year I think it's going to take another good couple of wins but is the motivation going to be there anymore for him given that he's just made a shit ton of money in in the space of six months I don't know I honestly don't know I mean after after he got beat I seen the videos circulating of him eating all sorts of pizzas and and whatever other Mexican food they were munching on and I was just thinking to myself well this is clearly why you know, clearly why he put on all this weight, because he was living the high life, weren't he, outside of the ring, and he admitted that, obviously, in the post-fight presser, and it's just unprofessional and disappointing, to be honest with you, because he expected more from him, but I do like him, he's a humble guy, he seems like a, you know, a, a decent guy at heart, and he, you know, he, he's made all this money, will he ever come again? It remains to be seen, but now for Joshua... It's looking like possibly Kubrat Pulev next. I don't think the Usyk, the Usyk fight's going to happen. Personally, I think they're going to put that one on the burner for a little bit longer, maybe. I think they'll vacate the WBO title. Usyk will fight for the vacant title against the, the next number one contender. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they somehow elevate Derek Chisora into that position and, and make that title fight happen. It would be ridiculous if they did, because, again, I don't think Chisora is kind of manoeuvred himself into into a number one position for that but it honestly wouldn't surprise me with the politics of boxing so what do you think will happen next do you think they'll do what i'm suggesting which is vacate wbo and go down the ibf route and defend against pulev i think uh, i think pulev is the realistic choice i think he's the guy that was supposed to be obviously fighting joshua was it back in 20 
2016, I think, 2017. Um, and obviously, he had to pull out from injury and then um, Trakam stepped in, didn't he? So, I, I would expect that to happen. Uh, in terms of the WBO, though, I wouldn't be surprised if Usyk isn't too keen to push the fight himself just in case Joshua takes it. Now, that isn't a knock on Usyk. I, I still believe, personally, I've said it before and I'm not going to go back on it. I believe Usyk is, has the potential to be the best in a division. I, I still believe that. I think he's got everything that he needs to win those titles uh, and be the best out of them all. I do honestly believe it. Um, he hasn't got much time on his side because of age. I still think he can fight for another three or four years. But I wouldn't be surprised if he looked at the Joshua fight and thought, actually, do you know what? Now, looking at that performance, you know, Joshua can bang. He can now box. So, you know, he's going to improve on that game. So now, and he's going to be a bigger guy. compared. You know, we know that Joshua does struggle against smaller opponents. Usyk's not that small. So I honestly believe that Usyk wouldn't be surprised if he said, you know what? Just give me a few million and I'll step aside, you know, and, and you don't push the mandatory um, and you keep the WBO. He can fight someone else. Because if he pushes it and then and he just, you know what, I'll fight, I will take the fight. I think Usyk might think, oh shit, I don't know if I fancy it now. I think he needs another another fight or two. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I could, I could Maybe they might push it in hope that AJ says, no, I don't want to go near Usyk and goes through living. And as you say, it's, the title goes vacant. I, I Honestly, I can see... I mean, I thought at the start of the year Usyk would definitely be fighting for a vacant WBO title at some point because I thought Joshua would vacate it. I'm not so sure now. I think I think for Joshua, I think, you know, Pulev and obviously the other name that I, I feel that he should fight is, is Dillian White. I think he deserves an opportunity. I think that's a massive fight for British boxing. And obviously we'll go into Dillian White and what, what, what you kind of come out with. But, um, you know, I think that is a fight as well for Joshua. So... I mean, we'll see. Obviously, Wilder and Fury are tied up, so we'll have to see what other names there are. Other than those names that we've just mentioned, I can't really think of anyone else, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe as a name that has escaped me. I mean, Michael Hunter got the draw of Povetkin, which we'll go into, but I'm sure they'll want a rematch. So, yeah, I, I think um, I think Pulev is the realistic choice, and I think he's probably the next fight for Joshua. Well, let's move on to that other heavyweight fight that was significant on the card this weekend. Alexander Povetkin and Michael Hunter fought to a draw, which in a lot of people's eyes was controversial. It was many people that felt that Michael Hunter deserved the nod on the night after what was a a frenetic start from him, nearly dropping Povetkin in the first round, hurting him on a couple of occasions throughout the fight, uh, and only to get a draw on the cards with him, with one judge obviously scoring it 115-113 to Hunter. The Russian judge, you know, ironically, scored it 115-113 to Povetkin. And then we had Glenn Feldman, who scored it 114-114, a draw. So I suppose the first question... I would have for yourself, Johnston, is did you think it was a draw or did you think Hunter won it? I, I think Hunter did win the fight. When I first see it, I felt that he he just did enough in, in the early in the early stages of the fight. As you say, almost knocked him out. He went for it early, didn't he? And and credit to him. I think uh, Povetkin did well to adjust and come back into the fight. And he, he also had Hunter hurt at one point. We had him up against the ropes sort of in the middle of the fight. And then I felt that Hunter came back and, and well, uh, it, it had its moments where I thought it'd be better than it was. Uh, but I felt that Hunter deserved to get the nod. It was a close fight, so I'm not I'm not going to say uh, it definitely wasn't like a, a robbery or anything like that. I think that um, Hunter. I think most people that watched the fight would would go Hunter deserves it rather than a draw. But you know, it is what it is. I suppose as you say, the Russian judge. I mean, maybe he knew that. That Vada were going to flipping ban Russia today from what World Cup in, in Qatar and, and, and World Championships in athletics and Women's World Cup. It's like he, he knew it was coming or something because, you know, they just don't learn, do they, the Russians? They're just so corrupt. It's ridiculous. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm saying that, but um, I think no matter what, he was always going to go, he was going to judge the fight and prevent him favour. I was just, he was just disappointed that, that third judge went for the draw because I thought Hunter just got it. So, I don't know. What do you think, Sean? I think, I think Hunter won the fight. I think, um, you know, if, if he was to take the rematch, I think he would win it in, in more, it, it, it would win it clearly next time, basically, if they did have a rematch. 
Yeah, I think he won the fight personally. I, I do think he, he, he should have got the nod at 115, 113. Uh, I know there was a few people that I was speaking to on the night who were watching it who had it 116, 112 for Hunter. But I think the 115 and 113 card was probably the most accurate one. It was a very close fight. They both had spells in the fight. Hunter, first few rounds, Povetkin adjusted. Towards the end, Hunter came back. Povetkin had a little bit of a later rally. And I don't know, that felt like it was a close fight. No robbery. I don't think it was a robbery. I know there was some people saying, oh, it's another bad scorecard. I don't think it was one of them bad scorecards. For me, a bad scorecard is, is where, say, Michael Hunter completely dominated the fight yet got a draw. You know, it wasn't like yeah. it was a 117, 110 card, you know what I mean? Or a, 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 a 118, 109, or something ridiculous like that. You know, I didn't <laughs> think it was that bad. I just felt like it was a close fight. I felt Hunter should have got the nod. He didn't. He got the draw. But he's walked away with the respect of Povetkin. He's walked away with the respect of a lot of boxing fans because I think there was a lot of people who fancied Povetkin actually to to actually upset Hunter on the night. You know, given his his, his pedigree. But both of them have got fantastic pedigree. You know, before turning professional, and and both of them have been involved in, in the amateur side of the sport for a long period of time. So it was always going to be an interesting affair between these two. So it was good to to see Michael Hunter get this massive step up, and obviously this massive step up this time paid off for him because the last time he had a big step up like this was against Usyk and Usyk completely dominated him in the cruiserweight division so for me this was this was the the you know the demons of that particular fight gone fighting somebody like Povetkin who is still a danger at 40 years old who obviously beat a younger man in Huey Fury earlier this year and you know for me I think Michael Hunter is definitely on the cusp of pushing for a world title shot I think they should take a, a rematch between the two. I think it's the only fair way of doing things. Will it happen? I don't know. It should do because it was a WBA heavyweight title eliminator. So really, they should contest this fight again. You know, sort of the early quarter of next year, maybe sort of March, April time would be a good time to, to sort of have this happen again. And maybe then by the end of 2020, we, you know, we'll see the winner of that fight get a shot at whoever the champion may be at this point in time. So... For me, it was a good, entertaining fight. It really was. And I know I was saying, and I think you you agreed with me on this one, that yep. it actually was going to be probably one of the other really good fights of the card, barring what the main event was. And it actually turned out to be the case, uh, because obviously we did get the rest of the card, which we'll go into in a minute. Uh, and there were some bouts where I kind of switched off a little bit myself watching him, and there were some that I watched with intrigue. And overall, you know, I thought it was a pretty decent event. Was it worth a twenty four ninety five price tag? Uh, my answer is no. I don't believe it was, but I understand why people will have paid twenty four ninety five to watch this fight because people wanted to see what was going to happen in the main event. So going back to the fights on the card, then let's move down the card and talk about Dillian White and Marius Wack. Now, before we got the opportunity. To, to, to talk about the UCAD situation, we'd already recorded the podcast. So, the day before the fight, obviously UCAD basically dropped the charges against him, and basically there was a very minute trace uh, of the, the, the steroid in his sample from the 20th of June earlier on this year, before the Oscar Rivas fight, but now they're basically saying it wasn't a significant enough uh, tested trace to justify it being steroid use. So he gets cleared. Will he get reinstated as, as the WBC mandatory? We'll, we'll wait and see. It's not happened as yet as we record this. But first of all, what did you make of the UCAD situation? And then going on to the fight, what did you make of the fight against Wack? So with the UCAD situation, I mean, I'm pleased that he's been cleared. They don't normally release these type of you know statements after a fight has been cleared. But I think because it went into the public domain, they felt that it was necessary that they made it public so that, you know, it gives white, you know, sort of it gets people off of his back, if you like, and it clears him completely. You know, they, they obviously, there was a small trace. They obviously said that, you know, it was, it was through no fault of his own. There was no negligence or wrongdoing involved on Mr. White's part, as they said. And, and that it was, you know, they felt that they needed to release a statement. So, you know, I'm pleased for White. I really am, um, and and I'm I'm glad that he's uh, he has been cleared. I, I always we always felt that he probably might get it. I mean, we we did sometimes because it took so long. You, you start worrying, don't you? You start thinking, God, what's happening? Has he been banned? And we're just not sort of disclosing it, type of thing. But thankfully, it wasn't the case, and I, and I'm pleased because you know we all want Dillian 
to be active. We want Dillian to be fighting. He's entertaining to, to watch the fighter. Um, saying that, going on to the fight, I wasn't very impressed with the performance against Wallach. But, you know, with everything that's been going on in, in, in his head and, and in the mentality and getting himself up for this fight, it must have been difficult. I mean, they, he, maybe he knew that the, the statement was going to get released just before the fight, which was good for him because he was only going to be bombarded with these questions pre-fight and post-fight. So I'm pleased that's been cleared. But, you know, the performance, he, he did look a bit out of shape. He didn't look like the Dillian White we've seen recently. But I will give him a bye because literally the fact is, is he's, probably ha- he's probably struggled with, with things and how, how, how it's all panned out for him. So hopefully now Dillian, he's had a bit of a, an eventful year. So it's down to him now to just, you know, get through Christmas and then knuckle down and get himself back in contention. As I say, you know, he's a guy that I still believe that Anthony Joshua should be given an opportunity um, again. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I don't know. What did you think of the fight? I mean, I, I, it wasn't the greatest of fights, was it? And, but Dillian, you know, he done what he needed to do and he won it. Well, Marius Wack certainly earned his money anyway, put it that way. And, and you know, considering he was stopped by Martin Bacoli earlier on this year, it was it was good to see him actually come in there with, with a, a mentality that wasn't just to survive on the night. He came in there and he actually earned his money against Dillian White. But I do believe a fully fit, fully focused Dillian White probably would have got him out of there earlier and it wouldn't yep. have gone the 10-round distance and, and got a unanimous decision over him. And obviously... The interview post-fight from, from White was what I respected more than anything out of him was because of the fact he just stood there and said, look, you know, I know it wasn't a great fight. Uh, I'm overweight by a lot of stone, stone and a half, than what I should normally be. And it was evident because he was a lot slower. He was a lot more... He, he was gassed by about the fourth round, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> for me, it was quite evident, you know, that it was difficult. But he did take the fight quite on quite short notice. I think it was three weeks notice. So, you know, he just wanted to get out there and, and obviously fight again. And I understand that. That's his mentality. That's been his mentality for a while. So, I can respect that. Um, it didn't do him any favours in terms of performance-wise. But then, like you said, you can kind of give him a night off, really, and a bye. Because at the end of the day... Up until, you know, after the Oscar Rivas fight, this was the guy that was potentially going to go on to face Deontay Wilder. And we was all very much excited about the prospect of what Dillian White's future may hold. And then, obviously, a couple of days down the line, we get all this scandalous stuff coming out, which is not normally released in the public domain. And a whole big case is made around it. We've got... Eddie Hearn, interview after interview after interview with different outlets, different journalists from across the world, completely going to town on him about everything and a conspiracy about how Eddie Hearn has been covering it all up. And I think the conspiracy theorists are still a little bit out there on social media, even after the UCAD announcement on Friday. And people are still saying, yeah, but he obviously tested positive for something, so you know he should be banned. And I was just like, look... They've come out and they've had to make this statement to basically shut people up and say, look, you know, it was a very, very, very minute, small trace, which they didn't constitute as any type of steroid use. So they're the experts. We're not the experts. We're just the boxing fans. You know, even even the guys that are paid as experts, they're not the experts in this situation. So leave them be. I think the most, the, the biggest thing out of the whole thing was... Bellew, Tony Bellew, you know, he's he's controversial with his opinions and the fact that he was basically saying Thomas Hauser should be lynched and all the rest of it, not literally lynched, but in terms of his career professionally, because he was the one that brought a lot of information out at the time. Thomas Hauser is one of the most respected journalists in boxing and for him to go out there and sort of say he should be lynched, he was doing his job. He was doing his job at the end of the day. He was reporting on information that he'd got his hands on. And that's what a journalist does. That's a definition of a journalist. And sometimes it's not always the right way to get it out in the public domain. But, you know, it it was out there. People speculated over it. Information was provided. And it was down to people's opinion as as to how they interpreted that information. And, And I don't think... I don't ever remember once thinking that he'd actually failed the test. I was hoping he didn't. I was hoping there was nothing, you know, there to show that he'd been taking drugs and uh, there was any type of steroid misuse. And now we've had the proof and the proof is always in the pudding. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm happy with what they've done. I'm happy with what they've come out with. And at least we can move on from this and, and look look at his future and look how things go for him in the future. And I think the only thing that's not been done, as I said earlier, is he's not been reinstated as WBC's number one. I don't think as yet. So 
why will they not reinstate him? That that needs to be the next thing that needs to happen. He needs to be reinstated as WBC number one, and he needs to he needs to hopefully get his shot at whoever the WBC champion is come the come the summer or come the fall of this year. I, I really do hope he gets a shot at a world title, whether it be the winner of Fury Wilder or whether it be one of the titles that Joshua holds, or whether he well, gets put put in line for a WBO shot. I don't know. Well, well, you say that. I mean, was it not the WBC that um, basically just, you know, with with a couple of boxers, uh, were they not found with minute traces of uh, contaminated? They, they put it down to contaminated meat. Was it yep. WBC, and they just allowed it to just, oh, you know, it's fine. They didn't even wait for anyone. With, you know, UK obviously weren't around, weren't, weren't available because it's not UK, but it was like VAD or whoever it was. Um, and they just they were happy with it. So if that's the case, you know they they go and do that. Now with this situation with Dillian White, surely he should be reinstated. You know it, it, it seems ludicrous if they don't. If 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 he if he isn't, then you know it makes you wonder, doesn't it? What, what goes on in the WBC and within their organisation? Now that shows that something's not quite right. They obviously don't have, have a disliking for Dillian. I don't know what it is, but you know I think for me he he clearly should be. I mean. When people say that you know it was you know there was there was traces and this is you know 100 percent you know it's, it's some sort of cover up. Well, you know when you actually, <laughs> I mean I'm not an expert, but when you actually receive the sample, you get a sample. And it's exactly the same sample, the A and the B sample. The only difference is it gets split in two. One sample goes off, that's the A sample, and then the next one it's literally split, and then the B sample. So it's the same sample. One's clear and one wasn't. One had something slightly irregular with it. So, you know, that could be a medication. That could be anything, really, let's be honest. I mean, you have uh, steroids in almost a lot of stuff uh, in terms of if, if it be, I'm not exactly, as I say, I'm not an expert. I don't know exactly what it would, uh, what, what sort of steroid treatment would be, needed, would be needed for what, but there is elements of steroids within medication. So in that case, you know, it's the same sample. One, one, one half was clean, one half wasn't. It's, it's, it wasn't even like, as I say, it's a small, minute bit. So the WBC needs to be reinstating him, end of. And then, as you say, whoever he fights, whether it be Tyson Fury or whether it be Dillian, uh, not Dillian White, uh, uh, Wilder. So we'll see. But, you know, as I say, I'm pleased for, for White. And, and I just hope that, as I say, he can knuckle down and, and we get to see the old Dillian White back. Because you can clearly see he was obviously taking his toll on him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... It's difficult. I feel sorry for the guy, if I'm being totally honest with you. I mean, people might say what they say about it, you know, oh, well, he's still got this minute trace in, in, the, in the B sample, blah, blah, blah. Look, you know, the the, the UK Antidopia Agency have said that the, the case has been dismissed. They cleared him of it. They don't think there's a significant amount in, in that sample to justify it being continuous steroid abuse. So, for me, I'm happy with that, you know, it could have been done a lot sooner. I don't understand why it's taken so long to do this, but it's done now at the end of it. Let's try and move on. There is other bigger issues, like you rightly pointed out, Johnston, the WBC basically brushing the, the, the contaminated meat situation under the carpet again a couple of weeks ago. So if they're happy to do that with a couple of the Mexican fighters, then really Dillian White should be reinstated and should be put in the position to, to, to be manoeuvred for a fight against the winner of Fury versus Wilder 2. So for me... He didn't look great on the night. It wasn't his best performance, but you've got to give him the credit where credit's due. He took it very late. He's overweight. He's not fully in shape. He's struggled mentally over the past few months, given all the abuse he's obviously had on social media, all the abuse and all the probably shit he's had from different people within the industry as well, and probably people that he trusted, and probably even people that he might have even considered friends at some point has probably said something about him. So, you know, to have all them people go against you in, in that way, it's got to take a, a massive chunk out of your you know your, your sort of daily mentality and, and how you feel and we did that mental health awareness in boxing you know episode a, a few months ago and obviously that it kind of talks back to that really of, of how something so minute can have such a massive effect on your life and it was quite evident quite evident on the night of of how relieved he sort of felt just to get in the ring even though he didn't look his best or didn't genuinely feel his best he still managed to get through the fight against you know a tough competitor in Marius Flack and full credit to him he came and he took his payday and he took it with both hands he could have gone in there and, and, and just sort of got himself out of there if he wanted to and just got kind of quit the fight if he really wanted to get out of there and just take the payday because he was always going to get paid so you know at yeah. the end of the day he could have he could have done that but instead he came with a winning mentality and, and Dillian White was 
you know, 60% of the normal Dillian White, maybe even 50% of the normal Dillian White, and he still managed to, to get the unanimous decision over him, so fair play to him for that. So the rest of the card then in Saudi Arabia, we had obviously Mohamed Rasul Majidov beating Tom Little, stopping Tom Little earlier on in the fight, and then we had uh, a couple of obviously float fights on there. We had Diego Pacheco, uh, well, that was a bloody, absolute stunning knockout of uh, Salamani Saidi. That was uh, a bit of a stunner, that one. I was uh, quite excited to sort of see what this guy's got to offer in the future because, you know, without being too disrespectful, the Pacheco fight is one of them fights where they've put it on as a float to sort of go in between the one of the significant fights and the major fight, which was the main event. So normally this is most people's time to go for a piss or go for a brew or go and grab something <laughs> yeah. to eat. Let, let's be honest, that, that's that's what it is. Yeah. So I actually sat and watched it and uh, it was over very quickly and it was a great little fight. So that was uh, good to see. And then obviously we had uh, Ivan Hopi Price making his debut, picking up the victory. Uh, and then obviously a couple of other fights uh, on the very lower undercard when there was literally no one in the arena. And I... Uh, it was pissing it down, but people seemed to be enjoying themselves on the night. And, and, and you know, overall, I enjoyed the event. I was surprised that they managed to get that arena, as they called it, constructed in only 56 days. But yet they can't even build a skyscraper in the city of Manchester for about 10 bloody years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got the money, didn't they, in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, it surprised me that they, uh, they did manage to, to get actually stadium together in, in as quick time as they did. Uh, in terms of the actual, you know, watching the fight, it was, you know, they, they, they dropped the odd, you know, the usual songs in there and they're trying to get the crowd up and, you know, on their feet. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it lacked something for me. I don't think, um, you know, it wasn't quite what you would have expected if it was in London, for instance, or if it was even in, even in, Maybe not, 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 not even so much Madison Square Garden because even they're quite reserved. They like to see a big knockout there, and you know they, they're a bit tame, a bit quiet at times. But, you know, there's no one does it better than the Brits, to be honest. You know, if that was in Wales or Ireland or you know in in, in England, Scotland, you know, would have the atmosphere would have been off the roof. Let's be honest, um, and that's one thing I'm sure Anthony Joshua must be looking at and thinking, you know, he's had that disaster in New York. You know, he's had a, he's had the night in Saudi. So this why not this this head back to Britain, whether it be in Wales or whether it be in in England or wherever, anywhere in the UK, and this put on a big show. And that's why I think Pulev makes sense. You know, it's a fight where he can look good, and he could, he, you know, Pulev doesn't get knocked out, but I could see I could see him knocking him out, and I think he's going to have a hell of a lot of confidence going into a fight like Pulev. So why not? Um, I think I think one thing we're going to miss as well. Uh, Possibly the undisputed, but we'll see what happens with that. I think a lot of people are saying that that is that's one thing that is definitely going to happen. I'm not I'm not so sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of split at the minute. But um, yeah, I think the chance of undisputed is probably not going to happen. I can see guys like Usyk and Dillian White now, and uh, and potentially uh, you know that these guys are, are, are can now really start to to put a bit of pressure on Fury, Wilder, and Joshua. So. It's looking good. Just that one victory has made a huge difference to, to the heavyweight scene again. Although Joshua has the belts, we'll see what one, what mandatory he takes and whether he keeps the other. And it, it's just interesting. It's intriguing. And as I say, with Saudi Arabia, I mean, they put in a good show. But, you know, as I say, I weren't too impressed with the atmosphere. It was OK. It was good. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I, I'm assuming we'll be back to London or wherever in Britain at some point for his next one. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll probably be back over here at Wembley. I think Pulev at the Principality or Pulev at Wembley is probably the likely place for that to happen. But you never know. He might end up going to Bulgaria to fight him. You just never know. He's saying he wants yeah. to be a champion. He wants to be a fighting champion. He wants to go around the world to defend his title. So you just never know. But in terms of what sort of money they're going to make from it, it makes sense to, to bring it back to the UK, uh, obviously with ma massive gate receipts. Uh, and obviously you get all the sort of finances that come with a fight in the UK these days as well. And, you know, just touching back to what I said at the start of the episode about how big of a win this was for British boxing. You know, before he lost, British boxing had got to a point for me personally, and again, this is only me personally speaking, where I felt like we were actually on par with, with the Americans. The Americans has always been this sort of preconception of... of 
that's where you need to go. You need to break America. They say it about musicians. You've not done it until you've broken America. And it seems to be the same in boxing. Until you go over there and break America and have a big win over in America, you, you know, you're not the champion you should be or you're not creating the legacy you should have done. But for me, what Joshua had achieved over in the UK and the way he got these big marquee fights at Wembley Stadium and the Principality, filling them out... For me, we was putting us on par with the Americans and this win, this rematch and this win for him keeps us up there with them. And I know people will probably argue because it is a subjective topic and people may say, no, you're wrong with, you know, the Americans have still got all champions in different weights and they bring all this and that to the table. But for me personally, the rise of British boxing since 2013-14 has been immense and now we're coming to the end of another decade going into 2020 very shortly and yet British boxing for me seems to be at an all-time high regardless of some of the underlying niggling issues that really piss us off we're, we're there we're there with the Americans and some might say we're even just slightly ahead of them with what we've achieved and what we're bringing to the table with all these different variety of shows and you know, we've got the inception of things like World Boxing Super Series and even all the little smaller hall events like Golden Contract Court tournaments. You know, you don't see these type of things being done in America. You don't see these type of things getting, you know, different broadcasters like ESPN covering MTK Global shows and stuff like that. We seem to be really pushing forward with for British boxing. And, and if Anthony Joshua would have lost to Andy Ruiz in that rematch, it would have put a massive dent in his career and his legacy and probably would have put us back in British boxing another couple of steps for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I mean, the one thing I will say with British boxing in terms of... It's, it, it's irrelevant in terms of world champions for me. I, I don't necessarily... You know, that's the pinnacle of every boxer's career, you know, and... We're at, we as fans, we follow certain fighters. We want them to do well. We want them to progress into the world title stage and pick up world titles and follow them. And we're the best at that. There's no one better in the world that, that follows a fighter like we do. You know, there's just nobody. It, no one could compete with us. And and when it comes down to things like you know world titles, yes, the Americans and the Mexicans, you know, they they run the roost and in, in the lower weights, the Japanese, isn't it? But what we bring is something different. And not only that, on the domestic front and the domestic scene, we fight each other. You know, we will moan and you see on social media, you know, this guy, oh, we don't want to because he's ducking him and he's scared of him and whatever else, all the other bollocks that comes out there. But you actually look at it, you know, the British fighters fight each other. We will not, we are not afraid, especially to stick, to stick in a guy that's sort of 15 and 0 and a guy that's 12 and 0, you know, two up and coming fighters. Uh, and we we'll have them fight each other because because we call for it. We want it. We want to see it. And we're not. We don't worry if they lose. All right, you get a bit. You know, you get a bit disheartened if you're following, say Nathan Gorman, and he's going to lose to Daniel Dubois. You know, you get disheartened about it. But Gorman will come back a better fighter. And that's just a, that's just an example. Just there, that the fact that those two youngsters come through and they fought each other, Dillian White and Joshua did it. You know, and look what that's done for them too. Who knows what that could do for for Gorman and Dubois sort of in five years time. So. That's the one thing I say about British boxing. We will fight each other. You know, all right, sometimes it's not on the international scene, but I'll tell you what, the diehard boxing fans in America or all across the world will watch these fights because they're like, well, you know, they love that. They, they enjoy to watch those fights and they, they respect it. And then I think um, British boxing is, you know, it's, it's, it took a little dip. We've had, we've sent over, you know, especially with Matram and Dezanis, we've sent over a few of our boys and they've, they've not sort of performed. They've almost just been fed the Americans out there. Hopefully that starts to change this year. And I think one thing, Eddie Hearn might even get a little sort of, uh, you know, it might make him realise something that actually, you know, he has, he's neglected British boxing a little bit. And I think he needs to, especially in 2020, he needs to reassess his, his matchroom card and hopefully we get better cards from this victory as well. So I'm expecting big things next year. I just hope we're not disappointed yet again. Well, let's just touch on another card that was uh, totally off the radar over the weekend and I know it wasn't for a lot of boxing fans but there were some out there that probably completely missed the fact that Chris Eubank Jr. was over in America ironically on the undercard of Charlo versus Hogan and obviously got a TKO victory in round number two due to a, a shoulder injury which was suffered by Matt Korobov in the second round and Chris Eubank Jr. obviously retains his interim version of the WBA title by doing so but you know Again, Chris Eubank Jr. going over there. He did a lot of training over there when he was younger, training at Floyd Mayweather's gym uh, under 
obviously Floyd Mayweather senior earlier on in his amateur days before turning professional. So, you know, they've got a lot of contacts over there. And let's not forget Chris Eubank senior with his deputy badge, sheriff's badge that he has. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've got to forget about that as well. <laughs> so, obviously, they've got them links over there. So, you know, not forgetting about that. We didn't really get to see that fight warm up, to be honest with you. And I think people were saying that Matt Korobov won that first round uh, against Eubank Jr. And... I don't know. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't think he did personally, but again, that's just me giving my opinion on it. He gets into the second round, suffers that shoulder injury, and then the fight's over and done with, which is a shame, really, because obviously I wanted to see Eubank go over there, get a victory, and set himself up for a fight with Charlo. And that's what I really wanted to see, was for him to fight Charlo. And this was kind of where we were hoping it would it would go to, but... I think it still will. I still, I still think he still will get the shot at Jamal Charlo, who obviously also on the card. He defended his WBC middleweight title against a very game Dennis Hogan. Uh, came in there but got stopped in seven rounds by Jamal Charlo. I would like to see Jamal Charlo versus Chris Eubank Jr. And that would probably happen in America. And, you know, he's another guy who... Whilst he's had his he's had his sort of trials and tribulations in boxing, he's still a guy that you know, as as British fans, you know, we kind of love to hate the guy at times. And you know, I'd like to see him do well. I'd like to see him get a, uh, at least one more big shot uh, a title. I think he I think he's pushing his way up there. I think he just seems to fall short at the final hurdle and and the big stage. Of course, we've seen it, Billy Joe Saunders, and obviously George Groves. But would he fail against Charlo? I don't know, Charlo's a different animal and I would love to see that fight and, you know, I think Charlo looked brilliant on the night and I think it would be a very dangerous fight for Chris Eubank to take, but he's definitely one I'd really, really love to see. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's the fight. Once again, I mean, this is a fight that is being slightly marinated. I mean, I go back to the point where the Americans, they love to do that. I mean, they, was it Bob Aaron that created the, the word marinate and um, you know, he loves to just... You know, not just him, just just American fighters in general. You know, especially ones within the PBC, and they, they you know, they just don't tend to fight anyone. It's just, it, it's just really frustrating at times. Um, you know, Charlo, I'm I'm still not convinced of the guy. I, I really ain't, and I think that, you know, he should be looking at, you know, pushing himself to fight if he's that good to fight someone like uh, an aging Golovkin. Why not? I mean, you know, we're talking about Charlo. That, that's what I think he should be looking at. Now, even you've got Demetrius Andre in there. Why are not? Why are Charlo and Andre not fine? If they were English, 100%, that would be on. That would have been on last year, and we would have witnessed it. Because we don't, we fight each other. We do. I hate to keep... I'm not knocking the Americans in general. I'm probably knocking just the PBC fighters. And, and some, you know, Bob Aaron sometimes, I think he's a bit like that. So, you know, I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm slagging off the PBC. I'm guessing it was a PBC night, was it? Or was it... Um, I, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm probably got that wrong. I don't know. But... Um, just in general, I think I think Charlo. Um, you know, as I say, I'm not convinced by him. I don't think what well, I don't understand why he, there's certain fights hasn't taken. So I think he's a bit of a protected fighter. And Eubank Junior. I think you know I, I have my problems with Eubank, but um, you know since the Degal victory, he's elevated himself for me. You know, although Degal was clearly not himself, but I think it's a fight he could. Put. I don't see why not. I think you know with his. He loves to throw a lot of punches. Why not? I think I think that could happen. Um, I mean, they're up there now. I think even Eubank Jr. is up to second at the minute in in on box rec in terms of the middleweight rankings and just behind Golovkin. So, you know, you've got some big names out there, but I think Charlo Eubank Jr. Is a, got, is a fight they're trying to marinate and hopefully we'll get to see it next year. Well, it's not to really sort of slag the American fight fans off, really, what you're saying there, Johnson. I, I totally get what no, you're saying no. about it. The American fight fans are, are very, very passionate fans, and, you know, we, we've got a massive American fan base listening to this podcast, and I know we really appreciate them for listening Absolutely. to us. And, you know, yeah. they, why, why would, you know, sometimes you think to yourself, why would American guys want to listen to, to two English guys breaking fights down? But it's, you know, it's because we really, really thoroughly enjoy doing it, and I enjoy covering the American side uh, of boxing as well and not just solely focusing on, on the English boxing because there is a, a plethora of podcasts out there that are doing it so I want to kind of cover it as much as we can off really so you know we get some yeah. great great reviews from over in America and, and some great numbers from over in America in certain states so you know big shout out to you guys you true fight fans you know listening to, to our podcast and us breaking these down and, and some of the other series that we run but there, there's a lot of passionate American fans out there that will want to see these fights as well so I totally agree uh, 
agree with you. It's just, it's always in the hands of, of the promoters, unfortunately. And, and like you say, you know, you know, you've got guys like Bob Arum and you've got guys, obviously, that want to sort of pick these fights at the right times. Frank Warren here in the UK, he's a, he's a, he's a bugger for it. He would marinate. He would yeah. marinate them fighters. Two big examples for for the American fans that are listening to the episode: Joe Calzaghe and Ricky Hatton. My word, did he marinate them two fighters over the years? Joe Calzaghe's first big significant fight for me came when he fought Jeff Lacey and beat Jeff Lacey. That was his coming yeah. out party, and that took him a long, long time. That was what something ridiculous, like eleven. No, it was. I think it was about. 13 years from when he made his debut that he actually got that big significant fight like that and then it's the same with Ricky Hatton when he fought Costa Zoo 2005 it took Frank Warren from 1997 to 2005 to get Ricky Hatton that big fight that he really needed to go out there so he, he does know how to match make he does have the right matchmakers under his wing but sometimes it can just be such an agonising wait for us fight fans who, who want to see these fights happen when these guys are in the primes and I think the biggest ridiculous one that just doesn't seem to be happening in the UK is, is Kel Brook and Amir Khan. That's another one yeah. that we've spoken yeah. about so many times that, you know, it's been it's been sort of put to us so many different occasions through social media and through press conferences and promoters talking about it and it's just never happening. So, well, Mayweather Pacquiao, there's another one. Marinated, waited too long, five years too late. So, you know, there's, there's so many different instances of this going on at the moment and... Uh, I'd, Go on, Johnson. You're about to say something. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm literally just. I don't mean to touch. I think. I think absolutely in terms. I, I do. I'm not knocking the American fans whatsoever. I think. I think the problem with America is, like you say, there's so many world champions. There's so many fights that that, that could happen. That it doesn't make sense. And like that, in America, boxing is not their. Was it like their fifth, sixth sport? Whereas in the UK, it's up. It's, it's up there in the top four, top five, possibly. Maybe even you know, in terms of the way boxing is going at the moment, you know, obviously football and is our big one and. You know, is it on terms level par with rugby? You know, is it is it above rugby? I mean, the Americans will be like, what the hell is rugby? But you know, for the Americans, in terms of as an American fan, and then having these promoters takes an age for for these these guys to fight, no matter what division. You know, they hold they're holding these titles for, for so long, but yet they're not fighting anyone. If they want to get the fans and they want boxing to be better in America and to be pushing the NFL and whether it be ice hockey or golf, even. You know, basketball. They need to get. They need to have these guys fight each other. Then they will get the American audience. So it's only the diehard boxing fans in America that that listen to pods like this. That will listen to all sorts of pods, and they're not very, very knowledgeable. And it must frustrate the hell out of them. Now, like you say, Frank Warren is an absolute nightmare. He is the worst for it. But he does bow to public demand. We will push it, especially with things like social media. Now, now we we knock it, but in actual fact, it's a good thing because. Now, the Goldman Dubois fight would never have happened. But we, we pushed that as fans, and that happened. And I just think with America, the, 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 the promoters out there, they're not really too fussed about what the other American fans think. They know that we'll give them whatever, and they'll watch it, and they'll pay for it. So, And they pay a lot of money for it as well, a lot more than we pay. So they're, they're diehard fans. But it just must, it must frustrate. It frustrates me as a boxing fan in general. But, you know, we're going well off the subject here. But, um, <laughs> you know... It's it's always it's something you know it's another problem in boxing and I just we all want to see the best fight the best and if we don't what we have is we have these social media wars where everyone's saying this guy's better than him this guy's better we're never gonna fucking know right dropping the f word but we will never know until they fight each other and that's what we all want to bloody see and hopefully next year we get that and that's what I'm really hoping for but you know we'll do our end of the year show Sean and we can discuss that then. So that sort of leads us nicely to wrap the show up then and just talk about what's coming up over the next couple of weeks. We've got about, what is it, 15 days before Christmas hits us and the holidays hit <laughs> us and we all have our little break and, and boxing season sort of comes to an end really for us for, for, for quite a number of weeks. So what we've got coming up for you and as Johnson's rightly pointed out there, an end of year show, we're going to be hosting a little end of year show to talk about domestic fighters of the year here in Britain, international fighters of the year, 
fights of the year, knockouts of the year, all sorts of different little awards that we're going to be putting out there and talking about and having discussions over. So please get involved in that. If you go and tweet us at BTR Boxing Pod, if you've got any suggestions about who your fighter of the year is, your knockout of the year is, you can do that. I'm sure there'll be a poll going out as well uh, in the next week or so for you to actually vote on, on certain topics as well to discuss in that particular episode. Legendary Nights is still running, it's still around and, you know, just while we're on that subject, it's literally been a year since the Legendary Nights series started up, so I didn't realise until earlier on today, before recording this episode, that Legendary Nights started roughly around a year ago and, and you know, we're, we're 25, 26 episodes in and we're still going strong and, you know, the next one has been selected by yourself, Johnston, we've got Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Arguello, we're going to be talking about both of them fights, uh, we've got plenty of other great content coming up for you before the end of the year and before the year is out so if you have enjoyed this big fight reaction as Anthony Joshua regained his heavyweight titles then you know what to do go and let us know on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and on Facebook BTR Boxing Podcast if you want to subscribe to the podcast you can do so you can check us out on any available podcasting app Things like Spotify, we've got really great numbers on Spotify. Please subscribe to us on there. Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating. Thank you for the ratings that have come in and the reviews that have come in quite recently. Really, really appreciate them. Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, CastBox, anywhere you can get your podcast or you listen to podcasts through. Just search in BTR Boxing Podcast. We are pretty much on every main podcasting app out there. So, Johnston, thank you so much as always for breaking the big fight reaction down. Fight fans, we really, really hope you've enjoyed it as always. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.